Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, Would you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5? We are continuing our study of the good news according to Matthew. And this morning, we arrive at the beginning of one of the really well-known sections, the Sermon on the Mount. I've often thought about sermons that I would have loved to have been there for, and this is definitely at the top of my list. But as I was thinking about this, I gave my head a little shake because we believe that Jesus Christ, the one who delivered the sermon that's recorded here, is in fact the Lord God, the same one who inspired the book we are each holding this morning in our hands as he wanted it written. In so far as our creator is concerned, what we have before us is actually the best option for us. This is not simply the best we can do, but the way God himself knew we needed to interact with Jesus' words. So, we get to be there for this sermon as it was in the way God wanted it given to us. So as we come to this text, let's treat this time with the same kind of intensity that we would if we were right there in Galilee listening to Jesus himself. Because Jesus himself intended for the Bible in your hands to be read by you. So to remind you of that and the significance of this, I'd invite you, wherever you are, to stand up and read with me the words of the living God. We will begin just before the start of chapter 5 at 4, verse 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountainside, and he sat down. His disciples came to him, And he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of things of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So living God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you uh, inspired its writing, uh, that you guided Matthew the tax collector (laughs) to remember this, to write it down, and to deliver it to us um, so we can engage with what you have in store for us. Lord, I pray that we would walk 
through this word and that it would help us to walk through our lives in a way that has us following passionately after you. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You're welcome to take a seat. Um, Sonia mentioned there are sermon notes uh, underneath my face, probably, <laughs> or on the button on the website that you can go grab um, if you want to kind of follow along uh, as we go. As I've been uh, studying this week, uh, so you know, I've become indebted to a local pastor and well-known author, Daryl Johnson. He's written well on this section of scripture and has helped me greatly in understanding what Jesus is doing here. He points out something really important, and maybe we shouldn't need to have this pointed out to us, but it's really important that we pay attention to what Jesus is actually saying. How we read the Sermon on the Mount will depend a lot on what we believe Jesus was up to. Who is this man and what is his purpose? If we view him as a nice, friendly teacher, we'll read these statements and the rest of the sermon as nice little silver linings that are encouraging. Hey, I know it's tough now, you're mourning, but at least one day you'll be comforted. Hashtag blessed. We can put that on a coffee mug or cross-stitch it on a pillow or put it up as a nice vinyl decal on our wall. Those aren't bad things, but we can view this as kind of a Hallmark card, Jesus. Or we can view Jesus as fed up with humans. He's frustrated, vitriolic, angry, and he just wants us to muster up enough strength to be perfect. Can't you be more disciplined? Get your act together. Get your grades up, guys. How could I possibly love you while you're such a failure? And then we view this sermon as a list of all the things we need to do before we're good enough to warrant his love. Do you think the corporate ladder is exhausting? College midterms got you down? <laughs> Try grading yourself on the criteria that comes in the following chapters. Be merciful. Be humble. Be righteous. Good luck. This is a work-harder perspective of Jesus. Or we can view Jesus as anti-religion, anti-Pharisee. He's here to fight the man, and the man is the church. And his point is down with organized religion. They don't actually love God. They're obsessed with rules. They love to judge, and more importantly, they love to feel self-righteous and smug. This Jesus is anti-structure, anti-systems. He's the opposite of work-harder Jesus. This Jesus emphasizes, well, just love each other. But by love, of course, we just mean tolerant acceptance. This is live and let live, Jesus. But of course, none of these are the real Jesus. And how do we know this? Because we're told what he was up to. That's why we started at 4.23. Matthew summarizes Jesus' mission. He went throughout Galilee proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Now, by the way, good news is just a more modern word for gospel. If you had any doubt about what Jesus' mission was, the four accounts of his life are called the gospel, the good news. And it's not even, by the way, the gospel of Matthew. It's the gospel, the good news, according to Matthew, according to Luke, according to John, according to Mark. This is the single story of Jesus. And Jesus himself is the good news, and that's what he's going around proclaiming. 
Well, what does this good news look like? Uh, again, we're told the good news author Mark in 1 verses 14 to 15 of his book says what Jesus was preaching. He said, after John went to prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And this is the good news of God. The time has come. He said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. If you've been paying attention to the story of the Bible, you'll know that ever since page three of this book, humans have been at odds with their God, with the king, with the one who loves and created us. Just this Friday night at youth, we spent some time looking at how ever since page three, God has been whispering throughout history. Help is on the way. Like that albatross who speaks to Lucy in Narnia, when all hope seems lost, courage, dear heart. A light is coming. Hundreds of years before Jesus arrives on the scene, that's exactly what one of God's messengers foreshadows. It says the people walking in darkness will see a great light. And that's precisely how John, in his account of the good news, opens. Now, with Jesus on the scene, a light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. The gospel is this, help is on the way, and look, it's almost here. It's invading. It's the news that the Allied forces just landed on the beaches at Normandy. It's Mr. and Mrs. Beaver noticing the melting of snow. It's the day a new and good leader is elected over a previously oppressed nation. It's the tree of Gondor blooming a single white flower. It's the signing of the Emancipation Proclamation. Things are about to change because Jesus is on the scene. The king is approaching, and he's about to give an inaugural address. He's about to tell us not primarily what to do, not what to sentimentalize, not what structures to tear down, but what a kingdom under the king looks like, and this king being Jesus. And it's with this understanding of what Jesus is up to that we come to the opening of the Sermon on the Mount, this section known as the Beatitudes, the Blessed Are passage. Now, some of you are already looking at this passage for this morning. You saw the blessed are those who mourn, and you're already there, because this sermon's going to take forever. <laughs> All the Beatitudes in one sermon? I know. Hillside actually spent a whole nine-part series on these in 2017. They're up on our website in our sermon archives, where you can take a listen. But if I can bring you some comfort, uh, this morning we're not going to be going in-depth into each of these eight Beatitudes. Otherwise, we'd already be way behind. Rather, we're going to do the important task of looking at them as a whole. Because the Beatitudes, these eight verses, are not a list, actually, of eight different things. They're not eight different people, but rather eight characteristics of a person who has been transformed by the new kingdom. This is telling us what a kingdom citizen looks like. Uh, the word blessed has almost developed its own meaning over the years, and it is a rich word. I love the word blessed. And we could and have spent large chunks of time talking about it. 
So to avoid getting bogged down here, I'm going to suggest a couple things I think blessed isn't saying and what I think it is. I don't think this is a consolation prize or a great equalization payment. Christians don't believe in karma. I don't believe Jesus is saying that those who have a hard time here get it made up for in the end because they'll be blessed with heavenly perks. So all of us could then therefore just accept our fate and the fate of those around us kind of apathetically, knowing that it'll all equal out in the end. I don't think it's a well-done and good and faithful servant moment. Certainly, we read that God will say that to those who follow him well. And oh, don't we long to hope for the day when our Savior would say that to us. But I don't think that's what's going on here. Not you are blessed now because you have been poor in the Spirit, not, you have been merciful, good work. Now I'm going to reward you with a blessing. And I don't think it's a promise of personal happiness. Sometimes the word blessed can accurately be translated happy. But I don't think this is a scheme for living our best life. Be meek and you'll be happy. Or happy are the peacemakers. Now each of these things probably approach part of the truth and each fits nicely into our different narratives of what we think or what we hope Jesus was teaching. But we know what Jesus was teaching, and so that informs how we read this. That the kingdom of heaven is near. Believe the good news. Help is on its way. In fact, it's almost here. Things are about to change. Because of this message, with the help of those smarter than me, I would suggest that blessed is God's proclamation that you're right on track. Congratulations to the pure in heart. You're in line with the kingdom that is coming near. Oh, to be someone persecuted for righteousness because they've got the kingdom. Daryl Johnson suggests the phrase in sync as an appropriate synonym here for blessed. I like that a lot. Because don't we all feel a little bit out of sync? Uh, in grade 10, my school did one of those uh, school trips where we went overnight, and it was our first kind of overnight trip as a school. I went to a smaller school, so it was kind of possible. And we went and slept overnight at the planetarium in Vancouver. And we're from Chilliwack, so this is a big deal. Uh, so we went, and of course, because we're in grade 10 and we're silly, we stayed up all night. And my goodness, to be a teacher on that trip, man, we were not in the best of moods. And so the day two, uh, we went to Fort Langley. And I think they didn't do this same thing again. But after all of us had no sleep, they threw us all in a canoe and told us to paddle on the Fraser River. Uh, I think it was some sort of cultural piece that was lost on me. Um, but I think we were supposed to imagine being the settlers or something. But I remember imagining being miserable. And because it was raining, it was, like mar it was like this weather, and we were in this canoe with about an hour of sleep as 15-year-olds. You can imagine how that went. And so I remember I was trying to bring positivity to the atmosphere did not really read the room because I was, I was coming in here and everybody else was a little grumpy. as that morning person who's really annoying. So we're here, I'm like, let's go, let's go. And I just remember everybody being splashed and cold and wet. And the worst part was, for the first half of the trip, we were rowing against the current because, I mean, they wanted us to get back, so they thought, give them the hard work first. So we were rowing upstream in the river, and it just felt like we were going nowhere. And of course, we were fighting with each other. Some of us were rowing, some of us weren't, which just made it worse, and it was a disaster. But didn't everything suddenly change when we turned the canoe backwards into the current? 
Didn't it become easier to paddle? Didn't it give us our direction? We didn't have to fight for our direction anymore. It even changed our ability to relate to one another. Oh, it felt like a relief to not have to fight for our own way while pretending to do so together. Oh, that we are in sync with the kingdom. We were once. Uh, if you have a student in youth ministry, they'll be able to tell you about it. But humans were designed to be in sync with God and with one another. But we decided to go upriver. We wanted to do our own thing. We found the notion of trusting someone who knows better than us restrictive and undignified. And we're like, no. So, full of our own sense of dignity and responsibility, we packed up our things and decided to paddle upstream because we're independent. If you have kids, you have seen this play out countless times. But don't let that trick you into thinking that you, as a full-grown adult, don't have the exact same problem. <laughs> Ever since that day, on page three of the Bible, humans have been paddling upstream against the flow of the kingdom, against the direction of our design. Do you wonder why you're so exhausted? Do you wonder why you're thirsty, tired, weary, heavily burdened? We're going the wrong way. <laughs> And to that, Jesus says, repent, or literally, turn. The kingdom is approaching. In fact, it is almost here. Now, why the Beatitudes? What is Jesus doing here? Well, he has invited us to join the current of the kingdom, to live in sync with our design. Like the disciples, he called in last week's passage to follow Jesus. But everyone around us is still paddling upstream. The world has billboards telling us that success is just a bit further up. You can make a name for yourself just upriver. Just be who you are. You deserve a great love story. Just a little more cash in hand and you can be secure. Work harder. Paddle faster. Show the world who you are. But not all of it because they might not like it. Just row. Row. How will you ever buy property in Vancouver if you don't keep paddling, keep rowing? Your video will never go viral with hair like that or clothes like those. Row, row. Life's too short to spend with people who you disagree with. Row. What the church needs is power. What the church needs is to adapt to the current era. Row. Keep paddling or you'll get left behind. And the horrible irony is that we're all in a race to success in the wrong direction. The moment we turn around, we will immediately lose our lead. If we turn around, we'll lose the race for sure. We'll start bumping into all the other boats who are racing in the other direction. What's worse is when you turn around and see the back of all those billboards, they've all been painted wrong way. And that's why Jesus says, no, blessed, in sync, right on. Congratulations, this is precisely the right way. Guys, we're barely paddling when we turn into the current. We're not setting our own course. The idea uh, of earning that congratulations, that got left behind the moment we turned. Instead, Jesus is saying, look, I know all of the evidence around you is telling you you're nuts, you're crazy. So I want you to know that you're not. You are in sync with the kingdom that is coming, that is already invading and is setting up camp. And so Jesus points out the things that are most out of sync with the world we live in and says, 
don't worry. This is what you should expect to happen if you're in my current. And if you're a Christian, you should be seeing these eight qualities all show up in your life. Because if you actually get the kingdom, if you're following the current of Christ, you cannot help these things beginning to show up. So with the remaining time, we're just going to touch as we go through the Beatitudes. We're just going to touch on how these characteristics follow uh, being in line with the kingdom. And they actually follow an order. So they stack on one another. So it's important to pay attention to just touch on them and go through them. So first he says, kingdom people are poor in spirit. And by other accounts, it seems like poor materially as well. Of course, they're poor in spirit. Of course, they're in sync with reality because they know they have nothing to contribute to their own well-being. Instead, they rest in the arms of God. I love how Pastor Sam Storms says it. He says, a Christian is simply somebody who has no place else to go. There's a desperateness to following Jesus. Does it feel a little uncomfortable to be desperate and hopeless without Jesus? To depend on him with your whole life? Of course. Because we live in a self-made, self-reliant world. So Jesus says, blessed, in sync, you are already living in the new kingdom if you realize that you bring nothing to my table and you don't need to. The closer you get to Jesus, the more you'll see how ridiculous it is to try and show him how much you bring to the team. Our upstream world is obsessed with comparison and proving our worth. Comparison with humans can leave us feeling either smug or jealous and bitter. But a closeness with Christ reminds us of how small we really are and how tenderly Christ notices us and loves us. Remember later in the story of Jesus in Luke 7, he celebrates a woman who knew she was a great sinner, who knew she brought nothing to the table. Why? Well, because those who recognize they have been forgiven deeply, they love deeply. You are in sync when you realize that you are a bankrupt dependent who has been adopted by the creator who owns the universe. Now remember this. Remember this. In sync are you when you realize you are inadequate. Because as we go through the rest of the sermon today and the weeks to come, like Jesus' sermon, not mine, you will feel inadequate. Because you'll look at the stuff and you'll go, there's no way I'm ever going to get close to that. Congratulations. Exactly. You are in sync with the kingdom and realizing that you can't do it. You are inadequate, so let the current of the kingdom of God take you there instead. Okay, verse 4. Kingdom people mourn. Of course. Because they're in sync with reality. Because they see what could be and what will be. They see the future and wish that it would get here sooner. Once you've turned your canoe to join the current, all the other boats the other way, they start to make you sad. You see the sweat on their faces and go, oh man, guys, come on. This is sad. You need to join the current, join the kingdom. But you will be comforted. Uh, in church, we often use the phrase, already but not yet, which is just a nifty way of saying that Jesus already showed up. He has arrived. Help has arrived. His birth, his life, his death, 
His burial and his resurrection were the beginning of a cosmic revolution. We live right now in the in-between times. Jesus has already won. He is already on the throne. But the old ways of this nation are still deeply ingrained. And many will not yet acknowledge that he is king. But there will be a day when all will finally recognize him as who he is. And then there shall be no more mourning or pain, but celebration. What a comfort. Our hope for the things that are not yet, our mourning for the things that are not yet, is paralleled by our joy when they arrive. But our upstream world that we live in is obsessed with being happy and comfortable, at ease. So Jesus says, no, blessed You were in sync when you mourn. You could not be part of this glorious kingdom and not mourn because you've seen how good it can be and how good it will be. So as kingdom people, we're going to feel inadequate and we're going to mourn. Exactly. That's exactly what we would expect if we were part of a new kingdom. Verse 5, kingdom people are meek, gentle, humble. They don't take themselves too seriously. Of course, they're in sync with reality because they know that they ultimately stand before an audience of one. And that audience of one is the king of the new kingdom. Do you remember how frustrating it is to try and make fun of someone who doesn't care? It's aggravating to no end. A person who is meek is like that. Their security is found in God in what God sees of them, and not what other humans see. And when you're like that, you can't be bothered, manipulated, or coerced by the allure of reputation. The meek will inherit the earth because their adopted father, the king, Jesus, is already in charge of it, and they bear his family resemblance. The meek know deeply who they are before God. And because they know who they are before God, they're unflappable. You can't rattle a meek person. This takes tremendous strength. You remember Jesus sat before a committee of people who made up actual lies about him that would lead to his wrongful conviction and execution. And I would be there obsessed with defending myself. But Jesus had the strength to remember exactly what his father thought of him, and that was enough. This doesn't mean being a conflict-averse pushover, either. Um, I'm a self-diagnosed people-pleaser. Uh, I don't know if I'm actually good at pleasing people, but I think like, that's, that's my obsession. Um, but I'll tell you, from my own shoes, it's not normally humility that makes me that way. I'm not normally pushed over because I'm so humble and I like, love other people. It's because I'm obsessed with myself. I want people to think a certain way about me, And so I'm not being meek. I'm not being strong. I'm just obsessed with what people think about me and that Kevin's going to be nice and helpful. So it doesn't mean just being a pushover. It means strength, knowing that your audience of one is the one that matters. Our upstream world then says to us, develop your brand. Take on the correct social position. Say this. Don't say that. Live a life in frantic panic of being thought of poorly or incorrectly. And Jesus says, no. 
blessed. You are in sync with the kingdom when you realize that the king sees you. He sees what is most true about you, good and bad, and that is all that matters. Verse 6, kingdom people hunger and thirst for righteousness. Of course, they're in sync with reality because they viscerally feel that they cannot live without righteousness. I appreciate Daryl Johnson's summary of righteousness. He calls it, he just says it's right-relatedness. It includes all the commands that we have in the Bible, but remember that the commands in the Bible are always given because they tell us what a relationship with God looks like. You rarely become friends with someone because they just happen to have time in their calendar. But in order to have a relationship with that friend, they need to have time in their calendar. That comes as a result of wanting to keep a relationship. That's not a works-based relationship. That's just how relationship works. So God lays out what this relationship looks like. And kingdom people crave that this thing, this relationship, these relationships be aligned. The upstream world is also hungry and thirsty. We're all hungry and thirsty. But in probably more subtle terms, it tells us that what we're craving, what we're hungry and thirsty for, is money, power, sex, comfort, food, many others. And so because we're being told that's what we're actually hungry for, we start trying to fill those hungers with money and power and sex and comfort and food, and it never satisfies. And the upstream world tells us that we're crazy for not fulfilling our appetites to the max. If you're hungry, why aren't you eating? If you have this craving, why don't you fill it with what we think you're craving? Why are you so prudish? Why are you so self-denying? You're nuts. But Jesus says, no, blessed. You are in sync when you realize that what you're actually hungry and thirsty for is relationship the right way, according to the word of God, with God and with people, with creation. Every time you become more like Jesus, you want to be more like Jesus. You cannot get enough. You recognize that your cravings are just a need for God, and he will actually satisfy your cravings. Verse 7, kingdom people are merciful. Of course, they're in sync with reality because they know that they have received so much mercy. They know that they brought nothing to the table, and God filled their cup to overflowing. He's invited them to the kingdom of heaven, to the banquet of the ages. Of course, a kingdom person will be merciful, A kingdom person extends kindness to those in need, and it doesn't matter why they're in need. No matter what that person did to make themselves needy, a kingdom person recognizes that they were more at fault and more needy before the king, and the king showed them mercy. The upstream world says, you're crazy. Don't do that. They did it to themselves. They're going to take advantage of you. And Jesus says, no, you're not crazy. Bless it. You are in sync when the attitude of the king shows up in you. Congratulations. People will be able to recognize Jesus in you. Verse 8, kingdom people are pure in heart. They have a single focus of living according to the reality that God lays out in his word. Of course, they're in sync with reality because they know that God sees everything in their life. 
it's not worth it to pretend. As Johnson says, it's not worth it to play games with reality. A kingdom person is naturally someone who shows integrity. They know there's no fooling the king. So they seek truth, they face truth, they tell truth, and they live truth. The upstream world says, you're crazy. Your private life is your private life. What you do behind closed doors, that's your own business. Why live under that kind of pressure? Jesus says, no, you're not crazy. Blessed. You are in sync when you live unanxiously in the reality that the Holy Spirit of the living God is actually aligning your character with his. And the more you look like him, the more you'll notice him. Blessed are you, for in your transformation you will see God. Kingdom people are creators of peace. Of course. They're in sync with reality because they know the king is now on his throne. War is over. The revolution has arrived. If you read this off a coffee mug or a cross-stitched pillow, you might appreciate this as a nice statement. Blessed are the peacemakers. People, you might think it means people who love peace and appreciate tranquility and a nice coffee on the beach, and those are great things. (laughs) But this is not Hallmark Jesus. This is the king preaching about the kingdom. Everything was at war. There was no peace until the king won the battle at the cross. Where can peace be found? Where can it be created? Only by joining the kingdom. The king has made a nation of peace and finding peace. Sorry, finding peace, wholeness, uh, is accomplished simply by entering the new kingdom, by aligning yourself with the king by telling people about what Jesus has done. The upstream world says, you're nuts, you're intolerant. Believe what you want to believe, but don't pretend you found the right way and everyone else is wrong. Live and let live. Can't we all just do our own thing? That's peace. But Jesus says to us, no. And you're not crazy. Blessed. You are in sync when you realize the truth that I am the way, the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father. No one finds their wholeness and peace apart from me. Tell the world to turn, to align with the current of the kingdom. Exactly. Kingdom people cannot help but bring others into the peace that they have found. The kingdom spreads. Finally, kingdom people are persecuted because of righteousness. Because they're in sync. Of course. You cannot go with the current and not become a pain in the neck to the people racing upstream. They killed Jesus. John 15 reminds us that we follow a man who was hated and executed. We are out of sync if we somehow think that being his follower will suddenly turn out comfortably. Jesus was persecuted because of righteousness, not because he was annoying, insensitive, rude, or belligerent, or evil, but because he lived, did, and spoke righteousness. There's a lot of conversation these days around the idea of religious persecution, and this is not a platform for a lengthy discussion on that. In short, and you can disagree with me, I don't think what we're experiencing right now 
is persecution. It's frustrating. I think by all accounts, it can feel inconsistent. And on the one-year anniversary of our first online service, I am weary. But that's not the point that we're getting at. It seems to me a little bit like that as Christians, we expect to not be persecuted. The whole conversation about religious persecution, regardless of where it stands and where it lands, it brings to the fact that it seems like we go, we shouldn't be persecuted. And I'm grateful to live in a land that we are not actively persecuted by the government. But I don't think it's possible to be a follower of Jesus and not face pushback. How on earth can a new king take the throne in a world that's dead set against him without those who hate him being upset? Kingdom people will be persecuted because we are kingdom people. People will see the right relatedness of the kingdom and will either be blessed by it and want to join the revolution or they will feel threatened by it and rebel. But Jesus says, careful. He says, whoa, when everyone speaks well of you. That's out of sync with what you should expect. Look at Jesus and all the prophets before him and each of the 12 disciples. Every one of them faced resistance and most were killed for following Jesus. The upstream world says, you're crazy. You would die? You would be ostracized? You would give up everything you have for this? You're an idiot. I mean, I thought it was cool when Christianity was just a cool lifestyle and all that stuff about love, but it's not worth giving your life for. You've been duped, man. And Jesus says, no. Blessed. You are part of the kingdom that will never fade away. It will never end. You are in sync because you understand what is really true. That I am on the throne. That I am making all things new. Congratulations to you. Because I am the king. And because I have adopted you, the kingdom is yours. Is the... I just come to the end here. I'm going to remind you, brothers and sisters, these characteristics are not something that you can do on your own. You can't add them to your portfolio. You can't make yourself any of these things. But these are the things you should desire because they are evidence that the kingdom of Jesus has gripped our hearts, that we have caught the vision Instead, we follow Christ. This is his instruction for us. Here in the Beatitudes, he tells us what are the results of joining his kingdom. If you're joining his kingdom, you're going to look like this Beatitude person. In chapter 6, verse 33, he tells us how. How do we become a person like this? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And when we fix our attention on the king, when we put our boat in the direction of his current, all other things begin to take shape. So Lord God, 
keep our eyes fixed on you. Lord, uh, that we would be transformed into your image. Lord, the result of this person, uh, we want to see that in our lives. We want to be kingdom people. We want to be people who have the characteristics uh, that you have laid out here. We want to be so grasped by your kingdom and the good news of what you have done that naturally these characteristics flow out of us. Lord, as we see these things develop in our brothers and sisters, may we point them out. May we tell them, hey, the world says you're crazy. Nah, blessed, in sync. This is what should happen. And as we do that, Lord, may we know you, know you more. Lord, keep our eyes fixed on you. And pray these things all in Jesus' precious name. Amen.